All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Episode, we're going to go with officially episode 119 episodes of the podcast already, and we've still got a few to go. We are still working on catching up with everybody from the Dakar rally, but, 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 all the rallies are going on now. Right now, the guys are signed up or getting ready to get started on the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge right back in Saudi Arabia. So looking forward to seeing some of their shenanigans with already Daniel Sanders out and one of the Benavides brothers out. So this is going to be interesting. I got a feeling Skyler is going to put this thing on the top box again. Mason Klein is already out there and getting ready as well. So we'll be keeping up with those guys. But in the meantime, if you guys read or saw the episode title, we are catching up. So if you guys heard a few months back, we had Patrick Reyes of the Coast to Coast Rally on the episode and talking about this rally and what they were doing. Well, it went off. And something a little bit different. I'm very curious to see how uh, how this transition was. We're going to be talking with Scotty Bloom of Baja Rally. Switching sides from organizer to competitor. So I'm curious to hear the tales and how that was and what it was like. And man, I'm telling you, the pictures that I saw from uh, the West by 1000 folks. Yeah, I missed out. But anyway, with that being said, let's talk to Scotty. Scotty there? Yeah, good afternoon, Victor. Good afternoon. Welcome, welcome. I'm working on fading the party out here nice and slowly. So what is going on? It's a rainy day, man. What happened? Yeah, finally getting some good water, some good rain out here. Um, came back from Rally Coast to Coast a week ago uh, after, you know, being down there for 10 days. Um, and excited to fill you in and also let your audience know, you know, all the good things and, you know, some of the bad as well that, that came out of that. Uh, but definitely uh, invigorating uh, and kind of rejuvenating for the whole rally scene uh, that Patrick and Romina uh, came back. Um, there's that, and there's also that rally unicorn uh, sightings uh, coming out of China that I'd like to talk about also if we have time. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's been a big one, so we'll go right to that one. Because you just, so you got back about a week ago, but my understanding is you, you jumped right back on a bike to go do some, some riding. All day yesterday, we had the Cove 450R rally uh, standard. We're the first um, U.S. journalists to get turned loose on them. So we had all day yesterday out in the desert uh, with Gary from GPX Moto, the importer. Uh, it was Rob Dabney from ADV Pulse and me um, with two of the standard uh, Cove bikes. These are the $9,000 uh, units, the non-pro uh, models. These are the ones that are $5,000 cheaper than the full rally uh, models. Mm -hmm. The ones we tested uh, had ABS brakes um, and have everything you would need uh, to go out and do a rally raid except the appendage coming out of the front head tube uh, is not uh, conducive or not engineered to mount uh, a roadbook reader to. 
So whether you're a digital or a you know free to ride roadbook reader, we could not uh, mount a roadbook on the bikes we tested yesterday without serious engineering, you know, parts and you know a week in the shop. So that was the you know the one weak spot. Other than that, these bikes look and perform as similarly to European and Japanese counterparts as you could imagine. Uh, the, we looked very hard and closely for cheap, uh, cheap uh, components, things that looked like there was plastic in them. Uh, and we learned a ton about the, the uh, genesis of Cove, what the CEO is doing and how Cove is different than 50 other uh, Chinese motorcycle manufacturers. There's really a lot of soul in that. And that the story that's coming out in a couple of days uh, from ADV Pulse is chuck full of all the background and some of the important points uh, that need that need to be paid attention to that kind of get our attention. I mean, the fact that these bikes and the team actually went into Dakar rally with zero roadbook experience and that all three of the pilots finished, you know, is a huge, um, you know, uh, kickstart for Cove or uh, it's Cove. So yeah. might as well at least pronounce the, the names right. But there's a lot to unpack uh, about this bike and about whether it's going to be uh, like off of the table of discussion in a year or if these things are actually going to approach some kind of standard where you'll see teams uh fly and ride teams offering uh these bikes to ride mm -hmm. we rode one and the one that i rode yesterday all day i put 100 miles on one that had a full you know full eight gallons of fuel in it when we started if i could mount a road book uh to that tower that's there uh, it's a $9,000, you know, ready to rally, uh, bike. And, you know, the scary stuff is, uh, you know, Chinese motor going to break down. You can never fix it. Uh, that's easy to dispel, but there's, um, I mean, it's going to take months and months to unpack it. We, we were the first of, you know, a dozen journalists that are going to be riding and comparing, uh, these bikes. Mm -hmm. They'll be comparing them to enduro bikes. They'll be con comparing them to the actual RFR. Uh, it's real important. The first thing we notice, the geometry and all the specs are almost identical replicas of the rally replica. So the seat height, the travel, the ground clearance, the fuel capacity, um, all the same as the KTM rally replica. Uh, that doesn't make them a rally replica, but they're they. If you're going to copy something, so these bikes are the. It's basically the fake Rolex of rally bikes. Yeah, but from I mean, it seems like the initial impression on these bikes is they're they're not a. Uh, the initial impression is they're not a throwaway bike, right? You they're didn't, not a toy. Yeah, you, yeah. You, this you, is not a toy. Yeah, you didn't you didn't you know throw a leg on it twenty miles later? Go yeah no, like it was it, it's. It deserves some time on it, you know, like some actual testing on it. It's not automatically ruled out. So it's fair to say that. So Gary 
is the name of the gentleman who has been importing, uh, you know, Chinese dirt bikes since 2003, 2004. He knows a lot about China. He's been over there quite a bit. Mm -hmm. He taught us about why um, Chinese motors are found in and, and motors built and assembled in China are found in bikes from all over the world. Um, it's his investment. Gary from GPX Motors is making a bet. It's an educated investment. It's an educated guess that the CEO, Xui, or Zui, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He's a soulful ex-champion motorcycle racer who has these Dakar aspirations and who, unlike a lot of people with silly Dakar aspirations, they're rooted in reality. And uh, the, the chairman or CEO of Kove, you know, sent three. And by the way, the way they found the three riders, mm -hmm. they did a tryouts. They did like a meetup. Hey, if you're interested in doing this thing, come and try out. So it's not like they picked from their own stable of people. It was an open public, open to the public, come and try out for the Kove Dakar team. Mm -hmm. Nice. Which is nice, scary, and crazy at the same time. Because what they were signing up for is is not, you know, the 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 weekend hair scramble, you know, the weekend sprint race. This is literally 15 full-on off-road races in in succession one after the other so it's the not not an easy feat and the fact that they finished now you can hide there are a lot of arenas mm -hmm. there are a lot of places that you can take a new product and you can conceal the weak points you can go to a trade show and have a like a demo days and the and the kickstand is breaking the pegs are breaking the clutch is failing and you can conceal that, you know, at a trade show or a demo days. There's a lot of ways to hide the weak spot. Mm -hmm. But in the Dakar rally, there is not a lot of ways to hide the Achilles heel or something that is wrong with the bike. And so, you know, we're going to stay instead of drinking the Kool-Aid, we're going to stay cautiously skeptical, you know, until... You know, we have, there's like a year under our belt or like I have bought one of these and it's, you know, been 10,000, 15,000 miles in Baja. So we're going to be cautiously skeptical. But all the first sniff tests of the Kove bikes and the program, you know, are, are passing sniff tests. And then the reason is, is why. So if the chairman has these, he's passionate about being different. And Gary from GPX, the importer who's making the big investment, his take is that he knows most of the motorcycle business people who operate in China are just business people. The only thing that matters is push more, more product, more margin, mm -hmm. more volume, uh, less expense, more profit, you know, push, push, push. And this, you know, swimming against the grain is the chairman or CEO from Kove, who has a completely different mindset. And they've had, you know, tens of thousands of units of motorcycles, you know, sold and placed around the world and since 2017. And the capacity apparently, and you got to be kind of a little bit, right, Victor, you kind of need to be, you know, a little bit 
guarded and a little bit, um, you know, measured in repeating things that you heard, you know, but they're talking about capacity to actually uh, build a thousand per month of these rally bikes. And the thing that you would be interested in is what Gary tells us is there is a city in or a region in China where all the motorcycle manufacturing is taking place, mm-hmm. where the big motor where the big motor factory is, and where the assembly plants are for the different brands. There are dozens and dozens of motorcycle brands in China, but they all are around the same location. And so the reason that you can have a, a better price point on a Chinese built motorcycle, the first thing you think of is labor. Mm-hmm. Is you know it's cheaper labor. But what he really pointed out is that also the supply chain, all of the components manufacturers and all of the parts makers are within a 15-mile radius of the main factories. And so 90% of the parts and the uh, components, the materials that go into making these bikes are coming from the same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So it cuts down time and cost in the supply chain. And that's something that we just are starting to learn about. Um, I have a feeling that the, 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 the first Chinese dirt bike for mass production and mass sale in the U.S. is going to uh, stick. And it's, again, from what we're learning, it's individual at Kove and then the individual at GPX here in the U.S. is Gary, who we met yesterday. And he's got been doing this a while. He's, like, done toys and he's done throwaway stuff and he's – until now, never really found something that he really got excited about. And he yet he is yet to do roadbook training himself. He's not a uh, roadbook guy yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so that's exciting. And, um, you know, uh, people will be talking about this cove thing for, you know, indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, they're, I think they hit it right. Turnkey. You've got a adventure rally bike, right? Uh, a ARD adventure rally bike. Yeah, you have an ARB bike, and then and then you have an actual rally bike with you know, like you said, all the tower, all the stuff that you need to go out and be competitive and and right out of the gate, right to car proven. I mean, you could at least say that, right? That three yes. bikes, three finishers. I mean, that's you know, for for a new manufacturer. I'll, I'll say new, but somebody new to this part of the, or this sector, um, that's, yeah, obviously it's impressive. So, but did, uh, did we get to see anything? Did any of these get, uh, down to the coast to coast rally? Did you see any down there? No. And the ones that we tested are not part of the initial order. Okay. So they're more like these were uh, trade show units and, uh, none, they had all, both of these bikes that we saw yesterday were at the trade show. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them had light riding, uh, you know, uh, but none of them had been really pounded for, you know, hours uh, off-road and really been pounded. Gotcha. Uh, and we, 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 we pounded them. Uh, you know, we took them through the, the paces. There's a couple uh, things like the suspension in, you know, eight out of ten uh, environments, the suspension as we didn't play with it at all with the, uh, with the compression or the rebound on the forks. Uh, and they were said to have been just set in the middle for like a 180 pound rider. 
uh, and in eight out of 10 applications, the suspension just as we got it was workable with full tank of gas. Mm -hmm. You know, we had chatter boards like the heavy washboard that, uh, where it was excruciating and it's instead of saying, okay, this is junk. Well, it's every fork needs to be, uh, played with and tinkered with. And, and that takes discipline. Uh, you want to ride your new dirt bike and you don't want to, you know, get in a controlled, you know, whoop environment where you're going back and forth and doing single click adjustments and, you know, like out at chalk testing in plaster city. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they, uh, they're awesome. A couple of, of things that you'll find on these things. You have this quick release seat, gets you access to the filter and the, the battery. You can take the fairing off with, uh, and move the fairing and pull it away with, you know, like, like 10 seconds, just a little six quick release pins. Um, all the stuff in it was quality, you know, the discs, um, the uh, the levers, the shifting, you could find neutral real easy. You cruise at 70 miles an hour uh, in fifth gear, um, you know, on a straight, flat highway, sitting down, you know, the windshield's doing its job. You're getting, uh, you know, some uh, wind relief. Uh, if you stand up, it's not the same because I just came off of five days on a 501 Husky that had a Sonora tower from uh rally moto shop Mm -hmm. uh that did more to block the wind but uh the cove thing you know it's 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 bitching for me as one i have to get over the i hate china or china all china bad you know thing i kind of have already done work to get over that for other reasons and um you know i think 80 percent of the rally community and the target uh, audience, uh, you know, for this bike, uh, are already over it. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's a, a part of that is because it's become, uh, so common, right? Every, every time they bag on some of, you know, I, I, I draw the, uh, the continental TKC 80, you know, everybody, there's a lot of people that swore by that tire and, and, you know, and then they would, you know, well, yeah, see, you got a Shinko. That's why it blew up. And then everything was fine and dandy until somebody <laughs> spilled the beans and and let everybody basically, yeah, your TKC 80 is made in the same place. So it's not, you know, so so don't clown on it. And I think that that's part of the reason right now. It's just the exposure to the two products from that region has gone up. And, and then every time they think that there's something, you know, new and, and out of Austria or another manufacturer, it's like, no. We're building it here, you know, under a certain design and a certain um, set of rules. But at the same time, it's still being manufactured in a place where a lot of people are in a region where a lot of people have a, a biased opinion towards. So I'm, I'm glad to see. I think uh, I think you're right. I think a lot of uh, I could see this being a fly and ride bike for sure. Uh, price point, I think just right off the bat is, is there uh, probably going to be a lot easier to get a hold of uh, than than the Austrian counterpart. Um, so, and, and obviously with a price tag, that's, that's a little bit more budget friendly for something like that. Yeah. We're finding that the, the, the 70 units of KTM 450 rally replica, it's impossible. And certain people that should be able to buy that bike just can't. Mm -hmm. And so they have to go to Mexico to buy from, uh, you know, Carlos Gracida directly on a second, you know, secondhand purchase 
and so Gary from, you know, GPX Moto, he's identified the void and, you know, starting to backfill the vacuum that people do have the demand for these. So the, the, before we pivot away, the, the $9,000 450R rally it, for a rider in the five foot six range of height can take this bike and make it their new KLR. They can make this bike the new 701. They could take this bike and replace the 250 CRF 250L uh, uh, rally mm -hmm. or the 300 rally like that Norley rides. So for the guys who aren't tall or big and the riders who aren't too tall and big, I mean, this is going to be a, uh, a starter. And it's going to be basically the platform for an adventure bike. You could put, um, and you can't go uh, like tight trail riding or single tracking uh, or enduro riding on these bikes. The low pipe, the wide skid plate, which is really nice. It's, it's a carbon, super wide carbon skid plate. It looks almost as wide as your 790 mm -hmm. skid plate. It's, um, but they can't... Um, you know, this is you can't go single tracking on this bike. It's going to uh, jack up the pipe, and you know that uh, skid plate is too cumbersome for doing that tight technical stuff. Big big foot uh, riders with a big you know size twelve boot, and you can get your boot stuck in between like where the pipe is and the rear tank uh, on a dab. You know, I'm, I dabbed a little bit with my right foot and got scared there for a minute. Uh, both sides also, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it's, uh, we've got a lot more to hear from these guys and the, the noise is, it's going to get very noisy, I believe. Good. Well, that's cool. I, I'm glad I'm for the growth of the sport. I'm glad to see that, uh, that, that, that's going to be happening. But I mean, and, and speaking of growth of the sport, uh, five years out on the, on the coast to coast rally. We were talking about rallies and, and yeah, <laughs> dude, that's so, so a little bit of background rally coast to coast is really the first ever rally in Mexico. I mean, they go way back. They go back to like 2005, 2004, mm -hmm. um, you know, 2008 and nine, um, you know, Patrick Reyes and Romina with their old partner, Hernan, they were doing the Red Bull coast to coast, which was really like an enduro ride. And like the biggest one they did, I think, was in, you know, 2004, 2005, 2006. But they that was more enduro. They went to full road book in 2009, I believe, and uh, generally taking the same route. It's from the city of Veracruz in the state of Veracruz. And it goes through uh, three states, generally the same adventure route, similar to like a Ensenada de Cabo, where the it's just a similar route similar towns um that are conducive to off-roading and um but they took some time away and this this year although it was a comeback year they also it was not their uh biggest uh field i think they had a total of 52 athletes including uh the utv and also a, a rally maxi or maxi rally uh kind of a hybrid pseudo adventure uh class so i think there was 52 participants um, rally pro had like 12 or 14 
14 entries, I think. Uh, Rally One is, uh, they had a guy in there, a uh, young guy that, uh, Blue Mines, he was a uh, younger uh, guy from Laos uh, who was a really interesting guy that we can maybe talk about him, but they're back. And so um, part of why Romina and Patrick, um, you know, their third leg, Hernan, is out in Switzerland and he's doing, he had his hands full with some other stuff. So what Patrick did is they partnered with a guy named Mario Mendoza. Mm -hmm. Mario's out of Mexico city. He's one of our, uh, Baja rally clients and we know him from Baja rally, but he's just a really, uh, extroverted, uh, uh, organizer who's got a background in doing triathlons and golf tournaments and, you know, all kinds of events. He brought Quaker state and, uh, Jeep, and Red Bull, and he bought a lot of big sponsors into the coast-to-coast, -coast, rally coast-to-coast. -coast. And, I mean, like, there wasn't a bivouac or a start line or a finish line where you wouldn't see a Red Bull cooler filled with ice and all the Red Bulls that you could drink. And so we were pinging uh, on the free Red Bulls all week long. But. <laughs> so they're back, and so they have nice. some new – so they're in, it's um, – Highly organized, you know. They were uh, highly structured in the in the inspection and the uh, you know registration process. Um, and Patrick also brought in uh, Mario Mendoza's uh, son-in-law, uh, uh, James Jaime, and so they have a team of four. And so Patrick does his thing, and he's not uh, having to uh, wear every hat, uh, which is good. And especially in mid-rally, we had like a tragedy that uh, that we could touch on that uh, because of that, Patrick and Romina and the whole organization was able to uh, survive and, and get through that and move forward from that. Nice. Yeah, I, um, it was, un it was, it is unfortunate uh, to hear about that and what happened and, I, you know, caught wind of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it briefly because, you know, we, of course we want to take away all the safety stuff that we can out of that, uh, out of that particular situation. Um, but so that was kind of your, Here's, go ahead. Well, you know, um, I've done three of these, so this was my third one mm -hmm. and the role I took going into it, uh, was to be a, I couldn't finish the last one because of a mechanical on the marathon stage. You know, it was a little, you know, a little heartbreaking, a little disappointing, but I saw this opportunity with Freedom Rally uh, investing mm -hmm. in Rally by going down there with a team of five uh, riders. You had a, a couple of customers and then a couple of VIPs. You know, you have Mike Johnson as, a, you know, renting a, a, a KTM uh, Rally replica mm -hmm. and doing a fly and ride. Uh, uh, and keeping hands off of rally comp, uh, while he was down there. So rally comp had its own independent staff. And so that Mike Johnson, the founder and, and head honcho at rally comp could do what he wants to do. He could race. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you know, he, he, uh, had his own accident on the second day and, you know, decided to take himself out and go home for, you know, evaluation. He broke his tailbone and got his bell rung a little bit, uh, like slight concussion, but he was able to take himself out of the rally and fly home, uh, leaving the rally comp team back to, uh, you know, administer that part of the, of the event. Mm -hmm. um, 
so with route with uh, freedom rally their bivouac setup looked awesome so there were six bikes in total i was the sixth bike and so i asked to be placed on the team as a service rider uh with the intention of you have four or so you have five like team rider customers that are that need to finish this race and wouldn't it be nice if you had a sixth rider who was not there to compete, but who was really there to be the water boy and to, in the event that someone needed a part, uh, a wheel or some assistance, a tow, anything that could help them finish every day, then I want to sign up to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And the owner, Robert Mann, he looked at, a, at an outline and said, I like this and this makes sense. So it didn't come true that we saved someone's race for them, but it was close. So Dan Bart from SoCal Rally, you know, he uh, is a rally, a Freedom Rally customer. He's riding a, uh, you know, 450 EXC uh, from Freedom Rally, and he crashed in in front of me at kilometer five or six uh, and had taken himself out with a broken collarbone, pretty badly broken collarbone. So what my job is, I will stay with you now. I will stop racing and stay with you now. And he said, no, you won't. You will keep going. So um, Mike Georgeson from you know Montana Mike, he was the ringleader of the, the Freedom Rally team. And so he was calling out the, the commands. And so I was actually riding under his direction. Uh, he said, on just, hey, tomorrow's the first day. You can just do your own thing. Mm-hmm. And so I did my own thing and was able to, you know, start well. Um, uh, Mike Johnson and I started finished one and two on the first day and we started one and two on the second day, you know, from there, my thing just, I just generally fell back into my normal pattern of being that guy who's not going to be a front runner. And, uh, but it, I managed to help Etienne, um, and his pronunciation of his last name is, is skipping me, but the, uh, French guy, mm-hmm. uh, big guy, he's a, a Sonora entrant and a hopeful at, at, at Baja rally. Etienne, forget his last name, but, uh, you know, I helped him and stayed with him and was ready to DNF with him until we got the call from uh, Mike Georgeson on stage two. It's okay, continue, Scotty, and uh, so that the team could gain the number. But really, it worked really well, the, the coordination and, you know, Robert Mann, the owner, wasn't on hand. Scott Spears, like the tech guru from Freedom Rally, he wasn't there, but uh, the two mechanics that Freedom Rally had, who were working all the time, always had their uniform on. The setup in the bivouac uh, looked amazing, and a lot of uh, Mexican riders were coming up asking for how do they get signed up for Sonora or for Baja Rally, uh, riding under the team of, uh, of Freedom. It's got to be said, though, that also Poncho from Diaz Pro Racing was there, mm-hmm. three riders, mm-hmm. Uh, all customers um, and uh, all of those customers were are fiercely loyal and will only work with Poncho. He Poncho's got the same, uh, you know, determination and and commitment to getting the bikes, you know, ready and that they're going to finish. And so he was showing that he was never uh, seen, you know, hanging around or doing anything around the bivouac. Always working. 
That's good. Yeah, I mean, and I ran into a few of their guys over in uh, in Sonora. They had split duty. They had a couple of bikes there, rental bikes for uh, for some of the students. But I mean, it seems like you know the the big thing is is that Freedom Rally. I mean, kind of came up and and has been doing this flying ride thing. I think they got a pretty good recipe going. This is what uh, I think. What their fourth event. Third or fourth event? It, yeah, it, it, but it looked like the 40th. You know, nice. um, they had a mechanic named Brett. I don't, I'm not sure of his last name. Younger guy, very intelligent, uh, always, you know, committed. And then they had Slade Robinson. So Slade Robinson is, is Mike Georgeson's very close friend from New Mexico, mm-hmm. who's just kind of got into rally, just being friends with Mike Georgeson. Well, Slade is the guy who uh, was Nora Lee's dedicated uh, mechanic and coach uh, for her Baja Rally and her whole buildup for Baja Rally. And, and so those two mechanics were turning heads. I mean, all of the, uh, they were always working. They had six bikes between the two of them. And after the third day, they were down to four bikes between the two of them. All four bikes finished. We all finished. Um, and But just like that, Robert Mann and his vision with Scott Spears and what they're trying to uh, to do, it follows just like these simple criteria. It's professional. It's organized. There's a manifest. There's a, a, a Mexican rider had a 701 that was failing in the clutch. The Mexican rider with the failing clutch was going around to every mechanic. And it didn't matter which mechanic. And he came to Brett at Freedom Rally and said, yeah, I have this 501. The clutch is failing. Or it's a 701 the clutch is failing. And so the mechanic said, had this bike been sitting idle for a long time? And he said, in fact, it has since all of COVID. His bike's been sitting for three years. And he said, the clutch O-ring will deteriorate, but the chemicals in the oil sits idle. There's going to be, and it's, it's going to eat away and corrode or erode the, the O-ring. And that's your problem. And the guy said, well, do you have one? And so Brett from Freedom Rally said, let me refer to the manifest. And he pulls out like a printed document that's the manifest of every single part that's on that truck and trailer. And he said, yep, sure enough, we have that. That's in, tr- in tray five and drawer 10 and bin 15. Let's go get it. And he pulls it out. Now that rider was thankful he got his O-ring, but he signed right up. So he's like, if you've got a manifest. Yeah. You got um, it's so highly regimented that you have a manifest for every part that you have on that truck. Uh, that's an indication. And so uh, hats off to Robert. You know they don't need my help, or I don't think anyone else's. Man, they're on the on the uh, on the field, or they're on the on the boards. You know, and they're not uh, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Nice, dude. That's awesome. And I mean, and, and you're right. I mean, just the fact that you know. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen it in Baja. I've seen it all over the place where, you know, it's like, ah, I've seen it in my own garage. I know I bought that thing. I know it's somewhere here. <laughs> you know, six drawers later, you know, you're, you're still looking for the part. And so, yeah. And I've seen their rig. The rig they have is impressive to say the least. You know, that thing is awesome. And, and yeah, to be able to have all of those parts and think, you know, maintain what six bikes at any given moment, you know, that's. That is definitely a, a, a good job. And it's awesome to see them traveling to all of these events. I mean, they're based back east. So to make it all the way down to Veracruz, you know, this is, yeah. 
it, it was heavy. And, and there was also, um, oh, let's see, what else? Um, the gelling of the team, the six bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, the only person that we had from Mexico is Fernando Pascual. He's a 34-year-old uh, data analyst who's also a former Enduro champion of Mexico. Uh, it was his first rodeo at Rally, and he was, um, you know, a real favorite. Uh, finished the rally, but um, just had one bad luck on one day. But um, all of the team, there, everyone was gelling. It's like v- Willem Avenant, Dan Bart, you know, Dan Bartolucci, uh, you know, Mike Johnson, uh, me. Uh, you know, you had Etienne and then... Uh, yeah, there's six of us, but mm-hmm. out of the six riders, four of us are all roadbook, like master roadbook creators. Mike Johnson, Dan Bartolucci, Willem Avenant, and then me. Uh, and it was just a, it was just like an awesome uh, ambassadorship, an awesome envoy, you know, kind of like a trip to overseas to do bridge building. And for sure, Baja Rally and Sonora Rally are going to benefit from the work that was done. And, uh, you know, that Patrick has got a, a new organization and a new flow and Romina could, they could do focus on what they do best. And it's a very successful event overall, despite the fact that we got this message on stage three, mm-hmm. most of us had finished the special and we're working our way back to Ciudad Oaxaca and the rally comp just sent a universal message said, stop racing work your way through waypoints to WPE 197. So it's a message that someone at race ops put together and and we didn't know what to make of it. We were done racing. Uh, When I got back into the bivouac, you know, I parked the bike and this is standard. If you're flying and riding, you're, you're not really a factory pilot. Okay. But they're going to keep treating you as though you are a factory pilot. You bring your bike back uh, you can disappear. No one, if you, you're not the guy that's going to help spray down or help wash up or help clean the bike or help maintenance or service or do stuff. You're just the guy that disappears. Mm-hmm. Um, that's perfectly acceptable. But before I did that, my mechanic Slade is like a, I would give a, an organ to Slade. Uh, you know, everyone in my family first and then Slade is next up in line to receive a kidney or a, a liver. Um, he pulled me aside and said, you need to know, I'm not sure if you heard a rider died today. And I said, I didn't know. And, uh, he said there, no one, the families don't know. And there's no posting and no talking about it. Wait for the organizer, Scotty. And that's great. Perfect. Yeah. So a lot of speculation and like, Oh, he went off a cliff and he hit a thing and this and that. And then we were able to get to the bottom of it. It was Chucho. And it's basically Jesus Leon, the distributor. He's basically a dealer, Sports Cycle KTM, mm-hmm. Mexico City guy, big in Valle Bravo. It's a uh, he's a, a multi-line uh, motorcycle dealer, Ducati KTM, really well liked guy. Uh, no young kids, uh, divorced with the second wife, uh, passed away uh, in a single vehicle racing accident so what that means for folks at home no collision no fixed uh object so he didn't hit a tree didn't hit a pole didn't hit a car 
single vehicle racing accident. The hypothesis is probably looking down at the road book, a little distracted at, at speed, in the shade, missing a, a, a concrete uh, gutter or an obstacle that was obscured by the shade uh, and just came off the bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, Etienne, our team rider from Rally, from Freedom Rally, is a second rider. Dane from that was riding on uh, the big guy from the Pacific Northwest who was riding on Diaz Pro was the first guy to arrive and he was bleeding. There wasn't much they could do. Apparently uh, it was either a handlebar end or some kind of an end uh, went into his uh, torso uh, and he had heavy bleeding. But the um, it stopped the the this incident stopped the organization in its tracks because once they got word, they had to deploy and send every bit of resource to that scene because they didn't have a DOA. They didn't have Chucho as, oh, he's already um, expired. Mm-hmm. And so they go into life-saving mode and they need to just deploy and send all the resources to that event site. Uh, if that's the reason they called in to headquarters to say send a message out and stop racing they ended up tossing the stage uh that day which was um you know we weren't sure that was the the decision they would make but they tossed that stage you know victor patrick reyes came into the riders meeting sobbing and it was really difficult you know he's not uh prepared and cut out for doing both things yeah. you know real compassionate gentle person uh, and he could barely keep his uh, marbles together just explaining what had happened and what the plan was going forward. They did a moment of silence. They did a big applause thing and then hand out roadbooks. And what would Chucho want to do? What would he expect? And so I was dining with his friends, Mauricio Santana, Sergio Lopez, uh, the guys that were really close with him. And it's like they were in shock. But what would what will we do? So Victor, the next morning, wake up and we go racing. And that stage happened to be the fastest, safest, funnest uh, thing that I've ever done with Patrick and Romina in Mexico. Uh, but it was how we rebounded from it was uh, because it wasn't uh, involving a civilian because it wasn't involving multiple people, because it wasn't involving, um, you know, an animal or a fixed object, because it was single vehicle racing accident, it was, it was possible to move on from it and to, um, you know, to continue racing. I mean, that's, that's one of the, I, I received a couple of messages of, uh, about it and, and there was a conversation, you know, and, uh, I can only imagine, you know, with the friends and everybody being there and, and how difficult it was at that time, you know, to be able to do it. And now, I mean, it's not like it just changes. And I, I learned so much about him right after this happened um, and, and the, the, the reach that he had, you know, all of the people that he knew and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, the, the I guess the thing, like I told him, was the, the, I, the only thing you can hold on to is, is that he was in the middle of nowhere doing rally, riding a motorcycle, doing exactly what he loved. And it was just, unfortunately it was that time. And, and, and it sucks, you know, um, when we are not ready, but sometimes we don't get a choice, but 
best we could do is say we were doing something we loved. Yeah. And you could spin it positively in, in all kinds of directions, 12 ways uh, to, to put a, a positive, more positive spin on it. Um, you know, if the fatality had been a child that was playing, you know, uh, 500 meters away from their village, you know, that's going to be a whole different ball game. You know, there's a lot of us that would just go home from yeah. that. Yeah. You know, if it was, if that something like that happens, I'm probably going home. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably like would have to hang something up, uh, in that, uh, you know, in, in, in that scenario. Mm-hmm. But Mauricio Santana, you know, who ended up getting third overall, you know, in rally pro, he's been, a, he's a Baja rally regular and a, he's like the Mexico city, um, you know, mainstay and the, and there's, we haven't really hit on the big headline news yet, but uh, Mauricio Santana really close with Chucho, the the rider who passed away and, and Mauricio was back and racing at full speed again the next day. And, you know, enough to keep him up in the, in the standings. And he's a, uh, a great rider. Yeah. Um, we forgot to mention that. Okay. So in rally coast to coast for the first time ever, Baja steals the cup. And so, uh, Oswaldo Lara, uh, Oswaldo Lara, Lara, depending on how you want to pronounce it, is the guy that got did really well in Rally One. I think he won Rally One at Baja Rally. Mm-hmm. He's a single track guy from Colinette, and they stole the cup from the territory that's marked by the Mexico City and Valle de Bravo uh, enduro uh, gang, you yeah. know, down in in Mexico. So it's kind of like it's territorial. So when you had, you know. Oswaldo Lara from Baja winning the overall at Coast to Coast Rally, and then Willem Avenant from South Africa in his first Rally Pro appearance. You know, because Willem, you know, podiumed at um, at Baja Rally in Rally One, and so now he's stuck as far as uh, Coast to Coast and Baja Rally. We share almost identical rule books. Uh, if you get third or better in Rally One, you're now stuck in Pro. So. Willem Avenant, the big orange man, you know, the, the, the guy that's doing a, a, a lot of the heavy lifting right now in rally, you know, he goes out and gets second place in, uh, in rally pro his first appearance. And so it's a real shakeup. And so I think that the, the rally coast to coast, the field was a little lighter than Patrick and Romina are used to, but I think for next time around, there's going to be more of the older, um, uh, uh, familiar clients of coast to coast that are going to be signing up to do their part to bring the cup back. It may seem like a little thing, but if you know how the Mexican in mainland, if you know how their pride is and their thing, they don't mm-hmm. want Baja, no. uh, you know, like a different country. They don't want Baja taking the cup away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I think that's also a positive thing, but Oswaldo rode his ass off. And also a fan favorite, like he was at Baja Rally, a real big fan favorite uh, and among his peers at Coast to Coast. And the icing on the cake is Oswaldo Lara crosses the finish line in Puerto Escondido. And there's his his wife, his daughter, his mother-in-law and his father are all there to surprise him and just to be there that he's at the race. But he won the whole thing. Francisco Septian, uh, he's a multi-time, two-time Ironman score champion, and he's had his name on at least 10 
uh, score motorcycle championships as a, a rider, not a rider of record, but as a member of a team. You know, Septian has had, you know, more than a dozen uh, score championships uh, under his belt. He was there. He was a co-driver for a UTV. Mm-hmm. Um, that was big that Septian was there. Francisco Vera is from El Rosario is a quad guy. You know who Francisco Vera is? He's real popular in, in among Baja, mm-hmm. Enduro rider. Um, I think it's Vera. It's Vera or Vara. It's Francisco Vera. Yeah. And he is, he was there and his eyes were open. He was also a UTV co-driver. Uh, and they, those guys were shoe-ins for Baja Rally, uh, for sure, for their first, you know. And, and they'll, you'll also see a couple of quads uh, at Baja Rally for the first time. Uh, I'm about time. There's enough of them in Baja. They should all have road books on them and go ride something different, you know. I, I, it's funny. I've, I've brought that idea up to a few different people. I'm like, what about getting a quad and just setting up a quad for Rally? And it was, you know, it's the typical, you know, dirt biker versus quad guy kind of, you know, they each have opinions of each other and (laughs) kind of gang related, I think. But, you know, but it's about the sport growing. So that is that is one thing I got to say, I think a little bit of salt on the wound, though. I'm just just going to not kind of maybe a little bit there is this is Lara's second rally, right? Trained, yeah. with, trained with Boncho, went out and kicked ass at Baja Rally, and then literally just went in, into the, the, the motherland, into mainland Mexico, and won their rally down there. So. Yeah, and that's what people should pay attention to because other you know accomplished riders uh, who just, they get afraid of speaking French or these carrying a kitchen sink on your handlebars, you know, you got to look at someone like Oswaldo, who's like sworn, you know, uh, loves the format, you know, loves the navigation part of it. Um, and he's flourishing. There is video footage out there of him and Mike Johnson, uh, for the people that are listening that understand rally comp and know what opening a waypoint is. Well, Mike and Oswaldo were riding together. Translation, Oswaldo's chasing Mike. Uh, Mike is opening. So Mike is opening on stage two, and they get stuck two or three times. And on the third time, they start, they pull their hand and fist out as they're doing rock, paper, scissors. And And it's from Oswaldo's helmet cam. Okay, let's open a waypoint. Are you ready? That's rock, paper, scissors. On just for one try, not two out of three. It's just we'll do rock paper scissors one time. One Whoever for the loses, money. That's, <laughs> that's the guy that's going to open the waypoint. It's so cool, and you can see Mike say, "You ready? Let's go." One, two, three, and Mike goes to hand Oswaldo the scissors. Yeah, you know, Mike loses, sh- shouts out an obscenity, and then opens the waypoint, and then off they go. <laughs> Um, it's really cool. It's really cool because Mike has been operating on that. I think with, with when collaborating out on the course, hey, if we if we if we're riding together, we decide we have to open. Let's Rochambeau or rock paper scissor for it, yeah. um, which was a cool thing. But um, you know, something else I want to say about the coast to coast is they don't have it as good as we do in Baja. Mm-hmm. They don't have mm-hmm. as much open space. There's either forests and trees and jungles. 
and, and impassable terrain. They don't have a lot of open plains in that center of Mexico, such as why they have that uh, Coila or Coila uh, mm-hmm. 1000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, that that race is in a different region of Mexico where it's more like Baja and then you can move around some more. The route and the general course for coast to coast is confined. And so there's tons of villages, tons of speed zones. And we had to relearn how to do rally racing this time. Mm-hmm. The stages, the specials were shorter and the transfers were deep in navigation. And so unlike a Baja rally or a Sonora rally transfer, that's just like this much pavement and then you're a little bit of off-road and then you're ready to start. Uh, this, all of these transfers had navigation and all of the waypoints and speed zones were uh, uh, cumulative for your score. So if you're on a transfer after your special and you miss a stop sign or you ride around a waypoint and, and miss it, you're getting penalized on your whole whole time. It was hard to absorb that initially. It was hard to like like unpack that, wait, I'm racing on a special, I'm done racing, and then I want to go to the bivouac. I've got to do two and a half hours of navigation, technical riding. Mm-hmm. They could have easily made it easier, but they made it hard, and it was hard. I've exerted more energy and effort on the transfers than I did on the specials. Mm -hmm. And there was a a transfer on stage two where you had three and a half miles, three solid miles of silt that was over your front wheel. So you had, you know, two foot deep silt that is burying the front wheel. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was a chore. It was actually wrecking a couple of bikes and, um, you know, now I understand why uh, that's part of the deal. And I just really hope that if they do it again next year, uh, that they would go around something like that that would damage bikes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But even with that, that was like the hardest part, you know, behind the fatality uh, was the uh, difficulty of the transfers, the length of the transfers, and then the speed zones. Their roadbooks, they had some errors in the roadbooks that set the scoring off on a negative side from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, most people didn't seem to um, mind terribly um, that the scoring and the timing and scoring, the results were delayed and they're still, the final results are, they're going to come out probably why we're out recording this right now. Um, that was like the only weak spot and it's something that's easy to repair and to fix. And so uh, instead of blaming uh, scoring difficulties on third parties or on some outside thing, I like how Patrick Reyes, you know, got up after day one and just owned that uh, the organization owned what was going on and, uh, you know, uh, didn't deflect uh, any of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm sure when they resume and have their next rally that they will have everything extremely tight. Yeah. And, um, you know, we could go further and unpack that, but it's a moot point. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, the big thing is I mean, the big takeaways from that is that it was realized what it was. It, the, the correction was noted like, OK, yeah, this is the fix. Uh, and more importantly, that there was no finger pointing. It was just straight up. Hey, you know, is what it is. Here's the game plan. And all right. Next, you know, I think that's that's important. 
you know, on, on that side of things. Cause it is difficult. I mean, and this is like, I mean, uh, from what I understand, you know, and seen is it doesn't take much. It's just, you know, one small overstep, one small thing. And, and it has a ripple effect, you know, on these events be, only because there's so many moving pieces. So yeah, change the road book or put something new in the road book after your final test. And you know that you're just asking for mm-hmm. complications and so, um, you know, they, uh, they recovered, they recovered. So tell me a little bit more about the stages. Now, my understanding is they had a marathon stage this year. Yeah. Similar. And it's the second to last. And so it's the reason why they decided to throw out the results from stage three, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of rallies and Willem, you know, you have like Willem Avenant who's a student of rally history and he's like a participant and you take someone like Kyle McCoy who's like the almanac or the Wikipedia for Dakar rally history. Um, a lot of times if there's a fatality in like the Africa eco race or the Hellas rally, the organizer will um, spend the next day on a non timed and they say, we, we, we had a fatality today. We're keeping today's results. You know, the, the deceased is, you know, the, their family's been contacted. You know, they're, that's all being attended to. Tomorrow, we're going to take the day off. You are going to participate uh, and ride, but you are not going to be timed and scored. Gotcha. And I've seen that in uh, several rallies where the following day, would be a day of remembrance and it's ceremonial. We're going to, you know, navigate through the special stage, but you're not going to be timed and you're not going to win anything. And it's a way to slow people down. It's a way to let the faster guys just take the day off and, you know, kind of like let it, let them digest what happened. Uh, They couldn't do that in this event uh, because if they would have taken day four off, the, on the way up to the marathon, one, that's the best stage of the of the rally. And two, the last stage special was only 17 kilometers. It was a sprint down the beach. And notably, it was a ceremonial thing. You can't gain a spot. I mean, it's really hard to gain a spot in 17 kilometers. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty easy to lose a spot in 17 kilometers, as a few guys did. Yeah. come off their bikes in the, in the fast beach section. Mm-hmm. So that's the thinking behind that, um, the marathon stage. And so the marathon was a true marathon. No support trucks were allowed in the bivouac. They were allowed to pass through the town. They had to pass through the town. It's called San Jose del Pacifico. Mm-hmm. It's a magical mm-hmm. place in the mountains up above uh, Puerto Escondido. It's a psychedelic place. If there's magic mushroom culture all over this this town and the village, it's like the said to be like the the first place of use of uh, psilocybin uh, mushrooms from like five thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a tourist attraction. You saw a lot of Euro chicks walking around with their fanny packs on forward and their backpacks facing the front way up in the mountains, it stand out. You can, they were sticking out like a sore thumb, a lot of couples, a lot of old ladies, you know, cruising around in the village. Um, our bivouac was tucked away, you know, in the woods in this big open sprawling grassy area with eco cabanas and some of the best food that, that it's like a, looks like a quesadilla 
but it's on a giant like flour tostada with bean spread and some beef and onion. You know, it's like a kind of a taco or something. Um, and crickets, and they had like they were serving up these marinated uh, insects, and people were going nuts over them. It was really good. So we had great food at San Jose del Pacifico in the marathon. The 65-kilometer special stage en route to the marathon was fast and fun and flat. It looked like a different uh, kind of Mexico. You saw the blue agaves. It's like the heart of Oaxaca and agave land. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, you know, really thoughtful. I mean, the, the, the way you would make a perfect like, rally stage in this environment, you know, short of dunes and off-piste stuff. It's just fast, flat, two-track trails with grassy covered, not traveled, uh, some tricky navigation, but uh, just really smooth and fast uh, and fun. And then the hard part was coming after the marathon, the second, and it's basically the last day, we wake up and we've got to navigate for three hours uh, through 1,700 uh, S-turn switchbacks. So we're doing Jungle Mountain, Oaxaca Mountains, like going over three different mountain passes, literally thousands of turns. Yeah. And and navigating the whole thing and like speed zones as well. Uh, it was a challenge and a tricky navigation just to arrive at the start of the special. Mm-hmm. Um, but like looking, judging from the after party and then like the Canadians, you know, we had Rome Haloftis and Lance Webb. They drove all the way from Canada through Baja and that made like a three week or a four week trip out of the whole thing. Uh, they were super happy, you know, and like, uh, the Americans that were there very in all of the riders meeting victors, everything was in Spanish. There were not enough Americans to hold like duplicate riders meetings. Mm-hmm. And so it was Patrick, um, doing the, uh, all the meetings in Spanish. And then he would have to do like a private meeting with Willem and Mike and I, and that we could convey that to the, we really, it was only like, seven Americans or non-Spanish speakers that were there. Yeah. Well, racing. Well, that was this year, hopefully for next year. I mean, it's one, I mean, it's great, right? North America and, and, and Mexico has gained another rally event, um, or not gained, but it's back. Right. And so, yeah, that is is huge the the landscapes like i mentioned in the intro is like the the pictures that i saw from uh justin from west by 1000 out there just absolutely epic i mean that literally on the first day when he he showed a picture or uh, shared a picture of one of the cabanas that that they had there kind of like in the forest and i was like well i screwed yeah. up <laughs> yeah those were super I'm in the nice. wrong place. Those guys yeah justin and kira uh, from, you know, West by 1000, the media company, you know, they did a great job being there and doing what they needed to do. But at the right moment, you know, when Chucho passed away, it was Kira who was like the eyes and ears for Romina and Patrick and said, you're going to need to get in front of this thing. You're going to need to make a good statement. You're going to need to do that right now. And of course, because Patrick and Romina are close with Chucho and they have to deal with the family and deal with all of that, they're not in a place to do that. And so Kira, 
you know, hats off to her for uh, having the forethought to, to tell him that and to herself get in front of it and to draft a long press release that basically explained it's not what you would think. It's not what you think. It's not a, oh, this is Mexico. It's unsafe. It's wild. It's chaotic. This was a single vehicle racing accident. And um, uh, her work in doing that is pretty much, you know, did a lot to preserve the rally, I think. And, um, you know, the um, everyone who read that and everyone that was there uh, could kind of see that. And it's all in English, too. It's basically to keep the keyboard warriors at bay from, like, speculating on yeah. negligence or malfeasance or neglect or, you know, some other thing. And, and, and instead of getting right down to it, the guy had an accident and he crashed himself and passed away. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was important. And I remember reading that press release and it was very, uh, moving, touching, well-worded. I mean, I've been a fan of Kira's writing style and I, that's to me is probably like one of the single most hardest things to write. And I think she did a very, very good job of it. And, and I did not know that, that, you know, that she had approached Romina and Patrick about that and, but totally agree. You know, it's, you don't want to leave it to speculation because man, the internet does love to run wild, uh, with things from, you know, people 50,000 miles away and, and exactly zero clue of what actually happened could have happened, you know, and and they'll take it and run with it, you know. And that's what sucks. But I'm I'm glad they did yeah, it's that. Yes, because neither of neither of her nor the other American racers had an attachment to Chucho, and it wasn't like that we were, you know, personally grieving. And so, like that, give us the bandwidth to either continue racing or, like in Kira's case, is to get in front of the, you know, the speculation stuff and just and boil it right down. And so, you know, for Baja Rally being there, just with our eyes we're, we learned also from the event of how we will uh, you know uh, if that scenario inevitably comes to us and and the variations of the scenario multiple victims uh, you know civilians uh, you know that type of thing so we're really observant we picked up a lot you know from the trip um, you know try not to uh, you know sell while we're down there and but I tell you man the if you're listening to this thing and you've got your own dirt bikes and you're going to go to a rally, Sonora or wherever, you know, you can do it. You can trailer your bike. You can put your bike and you can transport your own bike. You can wrench on your own bike. You can bring a mechanic. You can do all that stuff. And you could have unlimited resources and, you know, you can do it. You can do it by yourself. I don't think you it's, I don't think it's possible to do any better. Okay than a flying ride on a on a late model, like totally prepped rally bike that's of your choosing, 450, 501, you know, 450 replica. You can't do better than having a flying ride situation for the for the one thing alone of just not having to touch your bike. Yeah. You if you're a, a control freak, which I know a few, uh they could afford fly and ride, but choose to just do their own thing from eight out of 10 riders fly and ride. It's impossible to do better on your own. You, you know, if you want a good result and have the highest odds of finishing and finishing higher up on the rankings, 
The flying right thing allows you to focus on nutrition and rest and your body and your riding, uh, and you'd completely forget about your equipment and your machine. I went out to before bed. I'm like, well, I might as well fill my water thing up before bed. And I drug myself out to the to the pits, and I found my my uh, water thing was already filled up for me. Yeah, they, they, it's so first class. I mean, that every kind of hammer nutrition thing you could possibly want. The food area and the VIP riders lounge was always stocked, and you had okay, you like pistachios. Okay, we'll save you the time. They're nutted pistachios. I mean, it goes on and on and on. The top of the line, huge bags of beef jerky, the huge nuts. You could fill your bags up with stuff. Um, you know, the um, uh, they just didn't spare a single expense. Yeah. And, you know, I, I needed a, a, a seat replacement. Okay, there's a seat. You're fine. You got a new seat. You uh, Here's a, my, the tire on Slade's bike, uh, you know, was came used and was gone by the time we started the marathon, it's like, oh, we have a tire. Yeah, we're just going to put a wheel on for you, Scott. So I had a brand new wheel. And, you know, this isn't, I didn't get any, and I don't deserve any more special treatment than anyone else under that tent. And I didn't receive any extra special treatment from Mike Georgeson or Slade or the mechanics than anyone else did. Everybody else, everybody under the tent was getting the same treatment. Do you have your, uh, your sleeping bag for the marathon stage? Do you have a mattress? Do you have a pillow? Okay, let's make sure you have all that stuff. Uh, they just didn't miss a single thing from picking you up at the airport to uh, booking the VIP table at the awards ceremony. They were on top of every little thing. And, um, you know, Sounds like an advertisement. You know, I didn't get paid to do the thing. I actually signed up to sacrifice my own race, uh, which it never came to that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but it was uh, it was just like, I don't think I'll go back to race in the same, in coast to coast in the same capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, but I may do a support uh, ride and with the intention of just finish last every day. It sound, I mean, you know, just from the, the sounds of it and, and what you experienced, I mean, I, I, I've seen it from the outside. I've been present at, you know, one of the events and where they're at and uh, see their bivouac setup and stuff like that. And then, and it's awesome. And the, the ranches, you know, Sp uh, Scott Spears, uh, Mike Jordan, all those guys, you know, everybody, you know, puts in a good effort. Everybody is really cool, right? There's no dicks on the team, which is something that also uh, contributes to it because you're, I mean, I, with the limited, you know, outside looking and rally experience that I bring or that I have is I know they're long days and mental fatigue, uh, physical fatigue, uh, is a, is a bad combination. So to have somebody there to back it up and handle, you know, something as simple as filling up, you know, your, your water bag, you know, just building up to the fact of, okay, I got to get out of bed or, you know, I really want to lay down, but I'm going to have to walk all the way down there. I'm going to have to go find water. I'm going to have to, you, you drown in a cup of water if you had a bad day. And just having somebody to handle the simple things like that is, is going to be huge. So that's yeah, awesome. You know, what I noticed is the mechanics, they were enjoying themselves, but you know, they were also, uh, you know, they never saw their hotels until like 10 or 11 at night. 
you know, they were roadies. So they doubled as roadies, like unpacking, you know, uh, equipment and setting up the bivouac, setting up the easy ups, getting the bikes on the stands, getting everything. You know, they never, uh, they were always hard at work, but they always seemed to be enjoying themselves. It didn't ever seem like a, a chore. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have this problem. The roadbook thing's not working and connected. You might have to just replace it. And Slade went into that with like, okay, that's what we do. And let's just, uh, you know, let's, let's do that. But all fly and ride, you know, and then also too, it's like Robert Mann and, and the freedom rally fly and ride program. They can learn a few things from Poncho, Mm -hmm. you know, and Poncho can learn a few things from, uh, them very, it's like a new era of like the next 10 years, and like the the influencers and the um, the torch bearers of the rally movement, you know, I mean, there are many. You know, it's like Darren Skilton. You have, uh, you know, uh, Robert Mann, Mike Johnson with Rally Comp. You know, Mike Georgeson is like looking for stuff. A huge torch bearer is Willem Avenant, and now in this next generation, in the generation that's coming. There's no bullshit and there's going to be no bickering and infighting and like cliques and clubs and like the cool kids versus these new kids. None of that shit is going to fly going forward. And if you go look back at, at off-road racing in Baja or, you know, score racing and quad racing and skateboarding and surfing, there's a little bickering and there's like factions and little cliques and the cool gang None of that stuff is present uh, right now, and and for the all the way up to the media companies, the organizers, rally comps, you know your um, uh, participants, your fast pros, your influencers. Nobody's going to tolerate that faction stuff, and and people are only going to follow the leaders that are more into the uh, grow in the community and more into expansion and multiplication. Mm-hmm. As opposed to division and like the cool kids and oh screw those guys. It's just it's it's refreshing. Yeah. I I agree. And I think that with exactly what you said, with Robert, with everything with more events popping up, the school's going, everything is like everything's playing. Even, you know, uh even as something as what we started off earlier talking with, you know, the the availability of a rally bike from Kobe here stateside, you know, a rally bike, go buy it, run it and tinker with it and do all of these things. Cause I mean, mo- it doesn't matter. Like, you know, even the, the, it's like any other bike with maybe the people identify or make up shortcomings. They're still going to make parts for it. They're still going to end up tweaking it. They're still going to end up personalizing it. So, but just the fact that you can get your hands on a rally bike now and make it just that much easier. You know, you don't, you feel compact. It's not an adapted bike. It's literally a rally bike. So all of these things are growing and pointing towards that. It's going to continue to expand. And, and I see it, I get messages. I get people that are curious. They want to learn. They want that recipe. They want, okay, what do I do next? What's the next, you know, what are the next steps? And, and all that information is getting out there, you know? So I agree. I think the next, uh, I think the next 10 years, you know, and then, uh, coupled with you know the americans doing well out in the international rally scene you know they have a lot more people that are looking i saw uh skylar house working on road books 
in his local area beginner road books to allow people like here is somebody that's literally uh, podiumed the Dakar one rally done all of this stuff and, and has years of experience taking time out of his day to create some beginner road books. You know, that's, you know, there's, there's a lot, you know, there's a there's lot. There's another thing. There's another thing that uh, along those lines, the ARO guys. Yeah. So I heard from ACE on your recent episode, you know, I'm close with uh, David Pearson. You know, these are two guys that their leadership and their examples that they set, you know, they're winners. Okay. And so I'm an adult, I'm a grown man, you know, I've been through a lot of cycles. I'm, I'm a businessman. I look at someone like David Pearson. Also, I look at, uh, you know, Kyle He's very soft spoken, you know, understated. And I look at Ace Nielsen. Okay. So those three guys, um, at least those three guys, you know, and Jim Pearson too, but, but Ace Nielsen and David Pearson these are giants and the dignity that these guys display on losing properly. Okay. They, they succeeded at failing. Okay. So they didn't succeed at finishing the Dakar. They failed at that goal. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the midst of their failure, they have a stiff upper lip. They keep their chin up and they act with dignity and they basically, you know, don't point fingers. They don't go down a, 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 a tailspin. They don't have a meltdown. And that, to me, is like a very, um, it's a, it's a, um, a subtle, uh, it could be a subtle, like, uh, uh, observation. But they failed, okay? I'm sorry, you know, Ace, but you crashed and you hurt yourself and you got taken out. You're in recovery. David, the same thing identical thing you basically crashed during the hardest race in the world and you could have really really failed uh in in the aftermath by sticking your head in the ground failing to uh speak up or speak out and it shows a lot of dignity man you got a hundred grand that's like thrown into the gutter or 60 80,000 bucks that's like you know lit on fire uh, you know, you're injured, you're, you've been defeated, but instead of acting like you've been defeated, you act like a, you're prepared for the next, uh, challenge, you know? And so that's a, I know a lot of other people are seeing that as well. And that's like, you know, these are leaders, uh, the thing, the work that you're doing, you know, by bringing on, uh, people from all over the spectrum, uh, you know, to share their stories, and to uh, let them tell their stories. Uh, the more you do that, um, you know, the more that the new entrants um, uh, and new participants, you know, emerge and they kind of see this is actually a cool thing and there's a lot to it. The future is really bright. And, you know, for a lot of us that have been around for 10 years, it's never been brighter. Yeah, I, I, I agree. The, the, just if anything else, right? I mean, there's so many people, so many that are involved with rally, but the, you know, that I get, uh, messages, you know, at least a couple times a week from people that are looking to get started that are looking to, you know, what, what's the first step? You know, I don't know. I, I live in the middle of nowhere. I don't know where, you know, we don't set up bikes for off-road rally here. We don't set up, you know, we don't do these things, you know, and, 
the important thing is, is that it's it, the recipe is not actually that complicated. You know, there's just so many resources out there. And I think what ends up happening is, is, is decision paralysis, right? There's so many people you could listen to. There's so many videos on YouTube. There's so many things about, and, and it's just this, you know, wormhole, uh, that, that people get into, but that's, I, I will always go back and reference like what, uh, Matthew Glade said when we talked is just look at the used gear market, go try and find a used ICO, go find, try and go try and find a used road book. And it's either coming out of Europe or, you know, and it's an old, old unit that somebody had in the garage laying out. And, but otherwise that market is non-existent. So it's a one-way street. People are buying and getting ready and getting into this sport and they're continuing with it. They're not, they're not dropping it off. Even all the guys that ran the Nora last year, you know, that was, that was a big one. They're doing it again this year. And, and, you know, and even more people are getting interested. Oh, okay. That's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Oh, I actually love this. Never mind. You know? And so I agree, you know, the, 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 the trajectory that the sport is on here stateside, you know, <clears throat> in North America, uh, is a good one. For sure. For sure. Cool. All righty, sir. Well, I will let you go. What, uh, let's see, what did we miss? Did we talk about, did we talk about everything? I mean, it was, there's so many, I mean, Cove, you got coast to coast rally, all that stuff. I mean, so it's, it's good. Um, I want to switch gears and this is more on my, on a personal side, but just really quick, uh, Baja rally school. Uh, you guys got one coming up. Yeah, we're doing ours on May 19th through the 21st in San Quentin. And, you know, we've got, you know, a good set of signups and people that are already, you know, that were signed up early on around Christmas and new years. And, uh, now is a good time to start you know, pushing and promoting that it's affordable. I think it works out to like 800 bucks for the two and a half days. And I think you're nine sixty five out the door with hotel, mm -hmm. two nights of hotel and a full dinner be sponsored by, I don't think they know it yet, but Baja bound insurance is sponsoring the dinner. Um, <laughs> nice. uh, I'll be sure to let them know yeah. um, that that's a good thing. And so that's coming up and it's uh, you know, a couple hundred miles of stages and it, you know, if you're on the fence about that, just about everybody that participated in the off-road or the, the Baja Rally School for ARO uh, participated in the Baja Rally. So Steffi, you know, uh, Steve Varney, uh, you know, uh, Tony Palandrani, the, the Russian guys, you know, and so it's a great gateway uh, and you don't, uh, there's no duplication and stuff. And so uh, you'll find that at uh, BajaRallyMoto.com. Hit the training tab, and it takes you right to the school uh, thing. And it's something that we're going to be, um, you know, promoting. Make sure we have you know, 20, 25 uh, participants uh, there. Uh, you can go there, and if you need to rent a bike, Poncho's got bikes available. Uh, you know, that's out there. So, yeah, May 19th nice. through the 21st. Nice. It's our next thing. All right. I'm going to be looking at the calendar and try and make that. And I think anybody, uh, anybody looking to get into rally and then wants to go race a rally, the first goal should be going to rally school. Just, just make the first part. The first step is just going to a rally school, get a bike set up or, you know, if, if there's a, a rental that you can get a hold on, just, you know, go out and, and experience that. And then the rally just will naturally follow after that. 
Yeah, it's so simple, but we make it seem so complicated. It's a rally, you know, training, and we're going to try to get Cove to just come. Uh, Cove loves himself some Baja, and so Gary from G- GPX Moto, he's down here right now on a on a different ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to try to get Cove to come to uh, the rally school and have some bikes out there for all of us to you know roost around on. Yeah. The legitimate bikes, yeah, they're not. Uh, they're 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 absolutely legitimate bikes, and I see one uh, in my future. Uh, not sure exactly, but it's uh, there's. I would love to have one to to make Baja Rally stages with, and um, and this also to to take on a little trip. There you go. Put some Good put some miles on it. Nice. Well, awesome, sir. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I know you've been you've been busy the last few. Uh, last few weeks i'm sure it's always a, a little bit of a turn and burn but awesome yeah we gave my son a, a toby price haircut so my kids had this long hair and that's i wanted to get home just just for the haircut so <laughs> thank you for your show victor and thanks yeah. for doing everything that you're doing and can't wait to see who's going to be the next person up uh, on the show to tell their story yeah yeah we still got a we still got a few dakar stories to get a hold of so uh so yeah and uh okay we got we got a pretty good list of uh of guests coming. So glad to be right on. glad to be back on it. Right on, bro. Thanks again. All right, sir. Yeah. Thank you. We'll talk to you. We'll see you soon. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. That is, that was Scotty Bloom of Baja rally talking about his uh, experience down at the coast to coast rally. This, uh, not this past week, but the week before and absolutely awesome. Like I said, I, I do, uh, I do regret that I wasn't able to make the event and then go down there originally was slated to do so. But, uh, with the rally calendar and all the events coming up, uh, and working with rally comp, uh, at these events, it definitely, uh, it, it gets a little hectic on the schedule. So I'm glad that, uh, it was a, it was a great event. You know, unfortunately there was some tragedy there. Um, you know, it, it, it's tough to even say, like, what do you say about that? Um, you know, other than I, like I kind of mentioned is, you know, it's somebody that was doing what they loved. They were passionate and, um, you know, they, they paid the ultimate price and, you know, it was something that, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I, I I'm going to cut it there because I think that, it, again, it's it's kind of a difficult thing to to talk about, right? Nobody likes to lose anybody in a sport, and especially in this sport because it's rally family. You know, everybody is very tight. Everybody knows everybody uh, in this, and whether they've ridden it or not, but everybody speaks roadbook, and I think that that is uh, is an important thing. So it's it's a unifying thing. But with that being said, it was definitely uh, it definitely looked like a great event. You know, from uh, from afar. Uh, I was at the Sonora Rally School getting handled uh, there. It was great to see some new people there, some familiar faces there as well. Uh, and what they were doing at the event and at the school was awesome. Uh, a lot of people, nobody, uh, I was really, really surprised. The dunes, I think, are one of the toughest things to navigate because there's generally no real marked courses there. Uh, it takes a lot of experience, but they had, uh, it looks like they had a great time and nobody run, ran off into the sunset. I didn't have to send anybody messages to stop or anything like that. So it was, it was great. It was a success. We had a lot of fun down there. Uh, the weather was a little cool, but you know, it was, uh, it was a great time. So anyway, with that being said, guys, remember it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride.
All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you like what you heard. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of others. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook under Chasing Waypoints, Instagram, Chasing Waypoints underscore official, and, of course, the YouTube under Chasing Waypoints. Hope everybody has a good week. We will see you guys for the next episode. Remember, shiny side up, and don't forget to tag us. We want to see where you guys are riding and what you guys are up to. Have a great week. Bye.